You are listening to the Some Good Content Podcast, a swipe file of proven content plays shared by some of the most successful content marketers out there doing the work. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the SGC Pod. Today, my guest is the Cameron Jenkins. She's the content lead at a little company called Shopify that you might have heard of. And I might have used that same joke when I introduced Kevin Indig a, a couple weeks ago on the podcast. And if I did, just call me out on that. Um, keep me honest here. So uh, yeah, Cameron Jenkins is a guest today. Really excited to have her on. Uh, I feel like we've been Twitter friends for a little while, but it's one of those things that we're making official now on on uh, on Zoom. And uh, Cameron, great to have you on and excited to geek out about content with you. Yeah, same. Thanks for having me. It's been uh, fun following you on Twitter, and it's nice to get to chat with you IRL. Right. <laughs> she just did air quotes for everybody listening. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like you're you're really thoughtful. You post really thoughtful stuff about content on your Twitter feed. And so for those of you who may not be following Cameron on Twitter, you should go and do that. Uh, because like I said, she's uh, I, I tend to always gravitate towards the people who are super thoughtful about content on any social platform and Cameron definitely fits that mold. So definitely follow Cameron. And um, before we get into the plays, Cameron, Shopify is a massive company, right? Content lead. What's the context? Like what is your role in terms of content when it comes to Shopify as the broader organization? Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people like I did too, before I joined Shopify, think of content marketing at Shopify as shopify.com slash blog, like the main right. core blog promoting like the e-commerce side of the business. Um, that's actually not where I work. I work in the side of the business that's focused on promoting products like Shopify Plus, uh, the point of sale and those types of things. So I'm the content lead. I have a team of four. We manage various aspects of the Plus and retail blogs. So tell us about Plus for those that are listening that might not know the differences between Shopify.com and Shopify Plus. Like obviously there's a few different business models there. What's What's the difference? Yeah, Shopify Plus is like our enterprise e-commerce uh, product. So basically, if the core, like the regular standard e-commerce product isn't enough for you because you're a large business, you're doing a lot of sales, you need more variants and all of that kind of thing, it's like the enterprise version of Shopify. And Shopify Retail is like loosely a uh, loose term to describe our point of sale. So anything for brick and mortar merchants, right. like selling in person, we have the point of sale app and we also have hardware. So those are the two areas of the business I promote. Right. And that was obviously two different content strategies. That's going to influence the type of content you create. Can't wait to dig into that. So thanks for the additional context. So like I said, Cameron's going to be sharing the three content plays that have been most effective over the last 12 months uh, on her team. Before, before we get into that, talk about the most impactful content channel, blog, podcast, video, premium courses, whatever, for the plus and the retail uh, platforms, content assets there at Shopify. Yeah, both are, it's pretty similar for both actually. Um, and most impactful obviously is, is going to be relative to kind of what your goals are and what you're trying to do. So we try to do balance a mix of long and short-term kind of plays. So, um, we have ones that are kind of low long game strategies. We have the ones that are like the short-term kind of wins. And then we have the ones that are kind of little multi-purpose can do a lot of things. Um, so blog is definitely up there for sure. Um, I think the organic traffic to the blog, it's definitely the largest driver of free trial signups. It is, I believe, also the largest driver of contact sales um, forms. 
And so it does that. And our demand gen team also relies on it for doing things like, you know, they promote our blog content on social. They use those lists to retarget and do like bottom funnel ads. So it's really kind of like a multi-purpose tool for us that, that does a lot. Um, so it's super impactful. Um, we also have podcasts. So we have one for plus and we have one for retail. Um, the one for retail is called Resilient Retail. Crystal LaFrance hosts that one. Jason Buckland hosts the one for plus. It's called In Conversation. And those are both, in my mind, a little bit more of those like long game brand awareness, brand sen sentiment kind of building right. um, channels, <clears throat> channels, excuse me. And it's been very good for building relationships as well. So we have a lot of merchants, for example, on our sure. podcast. And so it's been really nice to be able to build closer relationships with them and we're promoting them and we're getting great content from them, great advice from them. So it kind of, it definitely helps us out in that uh, regard as well. Right. It and sounds then, like they're Shopify users as well. So it's kind of yeah. like a hybrid case study too, when you have them on, like we've done similar things at, at, at Databox before and, and you have users on and, and while you might not be actively just talking and promoting the product, just having them on and talking about their stores and their processes, like it kind of acts as sort of like a hybrid case study. So I could yeah. see how that would work, like, especially on the plus side too, um, where like proof, I mean, customer proof is so important at every stage, but on the enterprise, it's like everything. Yes, a hundred percent. And a lot of times it's interesting. You bring up case studies. A lot of times we do also use them for case studies. Like, Hey, we already have the relationship with you now, or sometimes they'll even just on our podcast, which is very top of funnel. We don't ask them about the Shopify product typically at all right. in those because they're just for conversation. But a lot of times they organically bring up like, hey, here's how the point of sale helped me. Here's how Shopify Plus helped us scale. All of these types of things where we're like, wow, they're just volunteering this information. <laughs> and we're like, this is perfect for a case study. Sometimes we've used them for both multi-purpose. Yeah, the host of those episodes is like, yes. Like mm -hmm. yeah, those unsolicited <laughs> product places. It's like, okay, you can't, you can't plan that any better. Exactly. No, it's so nice when people just like volunteer that information. It helps us know that we're doing a good job, but it right. also is like, wow, like if you're willing to share this, we, we would also love to promote you in a case study. And I think that's kind of key with case studies too, is like making it a two way street. Like, yes, it helps Shopify obviously to have that case study, but we're also like, we would love to promote you in your business right. as well. So kind of, I think helpful for. So for it sounds both. like, yeah, the podcast <laughs> is good from an awareness standpoint. It's good yeah. from like a customer relationship standpoint because a lot of people you're having on are, are merchants and it's also good because you're using it to fill other content assets case studies so yeah that's that's a great play and i think also a lesson to other people who either have launched company podcasts or maybe are thinking about it and sometimes it could seem like a podcast might be a little fluffy it's like oh it's how do we how are we going to directly influence the business with a podcast you know it's it's there's you know it's they're they're not as discoverable this is like a playbook right here for, <clears throat> for doing so. Use it to inform your case studies and fill your content funnel in different ways. Right. Use it to develop relationships with your current customers and have them on. So that, I feel like that's a great play, especially on, at the enterprise. So that makes a lot of sense right. why they're investing there. Yeah, um, prospects too. I mean, like when it comes to some of our podcasts, like it's definitely a good way to be able to kind of like flatter people you want to like build relationships yeah. with who don't have relationships with yet. If they're a prospective merchant, it's like, Hey, let's have you on the podcast. This is a nice light touch to sure. be able to promote you, like show that we can have a good relationship. And it's kind of good for, I think I would consider that almost like an ABM strategy as well. Yeah. Just like very targeted outreach to specific prospects that you want to build relationships with. For sure. Yeah. I think I see more and more businesses doing that now with podcasts, treating it as like an ABM approach, mm -hmm. inviting your ideal prospects on, 
yeah. on the show. And it's like such a warm outreach, obviously. And now you're kind of top of mind for them. Sure. Um, much better than the the standard LinkedIn outreach. Can I get some time on your calendar? Like everyone would say no, but if you asked if you can get time on their calendar to record a podcast, like, I mean, I don't know, what's, what's the hit rate there? 60, 70%. I mean, most people, right. Are, are happy to do that. So, um, cool. So that's content channel. What about distribution channel? What, what works best in terms of distribution? Yeah. Distribution for sure for us is like the largest piece of the pie is Google organic. Um, I think that's the case with a lot of people. So we definitely emphasize that. Um, we're, it's doing really well for us. Like I said, I think it's like our highest driver of free trial signups and like contact sales forms. Um, so we definitely invest pretty heavily in, uh, in Google organic. So is the, is the trial that's for plus correct for the plus product? So the free trial is for, um, the point of sale and like the standard e-commerce product, uh, at the enterprise product. Plus we do have like a contact, contact sales sales, because okay. it is like more of a traditional. So the point of sale is kind of like a hybrid. So it's a big por- portion of that pie is like a self-serve funnel, but we do have some, uh, sales assisted as well. So it's a nice hybrid model between plus and standard, um, standard Shopify mm-hmm. and then enterprises like contact sales traditional kind of like enterprise sales cycle um yeah process so i'm going to go off script here for a sec the editorial process for each of those assets so for the retail product and the plus product how are they different how are they the same like you know it's two different very different properties two very different customers so like but i assume a company like shopify you have a lot of processes repeatable processes that you can sort of there's overlap and you can leverage them in both ways so how are they the same and how are they different yeah, I love that you're asking this just because I think it's really important for people to understand how your content marketing strategy needs to change depending on your business model. Like you can't go after, like it's not really a volume play on the enterprise level. Like yes, like the, the more traffic you get, sure you're gonna like, if you even keep the same conversion rate, you're gonna get more <laughs> leads and stuff, but it's not as much of that play. So we have on the enterprise side, we have a large merchant program um, for reaching those, it's more of the ABM type of content, the thought leadership in conversation podcast, that type of thing. So that is very unique to the enterprise side of the business. And then on the point of sale, like the retail side. And then I know with the e-commerce, like standard e-commerce side of the business, it's very much a volume play because it's based on getting free trials. Right. Right. Yeah. And you're, it's, uh, it's really because I was going to say before, uh, when you were mentioning the free trial, I was like, that would be really interesting if there was an enterprise product with free trial, mm-hmm. like self-serve. Um, but yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. The ABM, yeah. the relationship building stuff. So is it like who's coming up with the ideas for content on, in both of those areas? Like, are you driving that? Are you sort of approving that? Like, how does that like production process work from, all right, who's coming up with the idea, getting it into production? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, we're really big on the idea of ownership, just at Shopify in general, and definitely on my team as well. So how we've broken up the team is, into. so I oversee both the plus and the retail blogs for the most part. And there I manage four different people. Each of them owns a different stream, we call it. Um, So basically it's their beat, it's their focus area. And like, that's their area of ownership and expertise. So we have someone doing SEO content, SEO focused content on plus, someone doing that on retail, Um, We have someone doing um, like more like podcasts, like storytelling type of thing on retail. And then someone doing the storytelling, like feature stories on plus. So those are the people we have like owning very different aspects of the calendar. And so how they come up with things is 
we've essentially, we have like a, a year long marketing calendar. Things change, of course, but we have a general idea as an entire marketing team on what things we want to do at what points in the calendar. Um, but we also mix that with, we have priority topics. So we have done this process where basically we list out all of the, all of the categories we think are relevant to speak to for our different audiences. And we rate them in order of priority based on things like um, current demand, um, future demands, uh, alignment to the product. There's a couple other factors that we factor into the whole rating process. And so then we end up with um, categories of things that we want to own those topics on and then basically let our stream owners take it from there. What would an example of like a category be? Is it like a keyword driven thing or is it more broad like remote work? Like what, what would an example of like a category be? Yeah, I think like when I say category, I definitely mean just like kind of uh, traditional blog categories. So some of them are pretty closely aligned to a keyword. Others are right. more concepts that you can very obviously fit keywords into. So right. on the retail side, one example is like inventory management. Got so it. That, that gets plenty of search volume as its own standalone uh, term, but there's plenty of long tail things you can cover within the inventory management and inventory categories. So that's kind of like an example of how a category can function as kind of like an umbrella topic where, you know, you could keep publishing right. a lot of different things in that stream. Right. To go off your analogy earlier of, the, of writers or folks on the team having beats, it's like almost like sections of a newspaper, which yeah. I love that you brought that up beats because it allows people to sort of get to know specific subject matter and they kind of grow into it and can, can become experts. And I've, I've toyed with stuff like that in the past with people on my team having like every quarter have them switch beats mm. just so they have a whole quarter to get to know one subject rather than just like they're writing or covering different things every week mm. or every day. Um, but I don't even know if a quarter is long enough. But so I like I like the idea of beats um, if your team is big enough, obviously. Otherwise, mm -hmm. your you, people kind of have to do everything. Yeah. Um, have their hands in different areas, but I like that. I like that concept mm -hmm. um, for for bigger teams. So, all right, let's jump into the plays. The first one is very close to my heart. Um, uh, the top three plays for uh, the Shopify Plus and the retail product, things that have worked over the last twelve months. The first one, content refreshes. So I I love this. Um, it's something that I feel like years ago I was like, oh, that just feels like a waste of time. Yeah. Um, like it feels like it would give diminished returns. Like let's just keep pumping net new. Um, but I've seen firsthand, like you can drive 7,500% increase in organic traffic over three months and you're like, wow. Okay. Um, so tell me about content refreshes. How has that worked over the last 12 months for your team? Yeah. So I haven't been at Shopify for 12 months. So, um, I will say as long as I've been there, um, content refreshes have been a really important part of our play. Um, for so many different reasons. I mean, just on the very kind of basic level, we have a lot of content. When we're talking about commerce, especially, it goes out of date really fast anyway, but then you throw something like COVID into the mix and a lot of our content is like, that's no longer relevant unless we address like how commerce has changed in light of the pandemic. Um, so very basic level, just like keeping the content relevant to the current situation is really important when it comes to commerce. Um, but when it comes to declining traffic, especially organic traffic, refreshes have also been a really big deal for us just because we, and I know a lot of people find this as well, if you refresh something versus try to write something that new, when you refresh, you rank a lot faster, you get that traffic a lot faster because the URL has existed. There's like some kind of historical attachment like Google has with it. They know kind of 
what it's about. Um, it's existed for longer. It's gotten a chance to kind of earn more authority. There's probably links to it. Um, so when you refresh that, it's so much easier, like quicker at least, to start ranking and performing in that way um, if you refresh versus starting at new. So our process so far has been like first step is just identification. So um, I think one of the main things that people tend to do, and this is definitely something that we do, is go to our landing page report, organic traffic, look at things that have started to decline over a long period. We usually look yeah. at about six months just to see like, okay, this is consistent enough. Um, another thing I like to do to validate that is uh, actually doing Google Search Console, like comparing the actual position rather than just the traffic because you know, traffic is kind of a scary thing to base it solely on just because there's things like seasonality and um, maybe just the demand isn't there anymore. It doesn't mean that like your ranking changed. So you don't want to refresh something that actually is still ranking great. It's just like people aren't really searching for it anymore. So like to validate with that. Um, I know Alayda Solis, I've plugged this before, but she has a really great template that makes it super easy to do like um, period over period comparisons for position um, based on your Google Search Console average position data. So I definitely recommend that if you're going to validate with your uh, with your Google search, search console data. Um, so basically, once we've identified things that are declining or have declined, we try to look at, okay, what queries has it declined for over this time period? And what queries is it kind of on the cusp of ranking for, but not quite ranking for? Those tend to be the most relevant queries that we'd even want to go after anyway. So things that are ranking up like lower on page one to page two-ish. Right. Um, and we take those queries and we basically look at our current content and go like, how can we best answer these queries? Like, how can we improve our content so that it actually answers these really well? Right. Um, kind of as simple as that, like as far as a, a guiding right. a guiding light for that piece of content. Update it. A lot of times we'll do something extra special with it. Like we'll add FAQ schema just so that yeah. when it does ranking, it takes up more SERP real estate. Um, we pull in expert quotes, like other things to jazz it up. Even if, so we're adding new information, but also like, additional color as well. So, so it's like qualitative component to it too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's like answering the question, yes, like bare minimum table stakes. So you have to like answer these questions really well, but then adding in those extra special, like, you know, quotes, data, all of Just that like make it better. better. Yeah. Make it better. Yeah. Because exactly. I feel like a lot of the time too, you could do a better job. It's funny. Like, I feel like you could do a better job optimizing, but not necessarily make the post better. Would you agree yeah. with that? Like, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Just and that's I think coming to what people have started to label copycat content. Yeah. It's very much like, and I think people sometimes get the wrong idea about that because they're like, "Well, I'm not copying anything." I'm like, "Well, yeah, but you're basically it's an amalgamation of a bunch of things that already right. do exist. Yes, they're different words, but you're like, you if you took the branding off of this page, you wouldn't be able to really distinguish yeah. it yeah. from any." piece of content on that so we try to always it takes way longer but like source original quotes we try to we'll hop in we have some slack channels um for our merchant success managers and sales managers and things like that we say like hey does anyone have a great example of someone who does blah 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 well like could you hook us up with a merchant could you make the introduction we're doing that constantly so that we can actually right. <laughs> add that color into yeah. our post. and then um, they're going to share it you know if exactly. you feature their quotes like, yeah or link to it on their site or That's put exactly. it in their newsletter and mm -hmm. Like another another helpful thing to do too is like look at the existing SERP features. If there's videos, yep. if there's um, whatever there, like you might want to think about. Okay, like am I going to be able to outrank these other posts that all have a video explainer in mm -hmm. addition to the content? Again, that kind of gets you to the copycat stuff too. If you're already looking at what's already there, but um, you know, it's just it's just one another input. 
to look at be like what are the things that this post needs in order to do better the way i've always thought about it too is like i've always categorized it in a few different areas there's like the posts that have decayed so the posts that were like uh, page one maybe they were ranking really high over the past three months they've it's lost you know let's say ten thousand organic sessions so that's a high priority right Mm -hmm. but then there's the i i call these the almost famous the ones mm-hmm. that aren't going to show traffic drop decay because they've been hanging out on page two right? and so nobody's really been seeing it or maybe they get like a couple hundred visits and they fly under your radar and you never yeah. see them. But if you could boost it from like position 12 to position mm-hmm. eight, all of a sudden, like you see a, a big one. Yeah. And then there's the last one, which is like, they're not ranking like yeah. you, but they're targeting high volume keywords. So like there's high potential. They're just, they weren't written, like it wasn't structured correctly. Or maybe like it was from five years ago when the com- team was completely different mm-hmm. and they weren't thinking about SEO. And like that, those are like the hardest ones, but all three, right, have some level mm-hmm. of existing authority. And it's like, okay. it's always, yeah, if you have the resources, it, it, it's certainly worth investing in. Even if you don't, it's, it's, uh, it would be good to think about should we shift resources from net new to this? Because it could work that well. If you've been blogging for more than a year, Mm-hmm. That's what I, I tell anybody that's been blogging that long. If you have that much content over a, a, a year, two years old, like there's there's opportunity there to drive traffic short term. Like biggest short term win is updating content. Yes, a hundred percent. There's there's always something to update if you've been blogging. I think that's a good metric. Just like over a year, if you've been blogging for that long, there's going to be stuff that's added with some volume, right? Exactly. Hopefully more than once a month. But so like you know, if you have more than if mm-hmm. you could you could blog for two years and only have twenty four posts, right? But like if you have over, I don't know. I don't I don't even know if there's a number there that is meaningful at all. But like fifty posts. I don't I don't even know fifty a hundred. Like if there's any volume there and you've been blogging from for more than a year or two, like the better short-term traffic play. Right. Like if, if you're like, oh, Q2, we really need a, a, a material increase in traffic, uh-huh. updates every day over yeah, over the think, net new stuff. Oh man, it's such a good point too, because I think, and it took me a while even for like this mentality shift to happen, which is like, okay, every time I publish a post, it doesn't just like go out there and it's not, it's really just something that I have to maintain now. Like anytime yeah. I publish something, I'm creating more work for myself. I think people... <laughs> thought of it that way like oh man like now i have to maintain this is one more thing i have to maintain they'd be a lot more right. um i think thoughtful about the things that they choose to put out there that they write net new not saying again not saying that there's not new things we should be going after there's of course always reasons to do that but i think when we view it as like oh whoa that's one more thing to maintain and look how much yeah. refresh is like look how much time investment and just investment in general it takes to refresh a post like i think we might think twice before we just like two new posts a week (laughs) right right the way i look at it now too is like the more net new content we publish like the more opportunity for updates there's going to be like six eight twelve months from now like which yeah it does take a lot of time but it's like okay these posts hopefully they hit but like Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know if your experience is different but i feel like 20 percent of the posts you published like really hit and 80% you might have to work on. You might have to update. You might have to rewrite. You might have to consolidate them with another post in a year or two. But like 20% are going to rank and they're going to really kick ass and they're really going to help you hit your numbers. But then it gives you a lot of opportunity. That 20% is going to decay or it's going to go to page two or whatever. Um, Other people are going to create content that has better quality in it. And so, yeah, it gives you more opportunity a year from now to be like, okay, like there's more stuff we can update and hopefully see more material traffic jumps and things like that but yeah mm-hmm. certainly it creates more work and you don't 
most times get that short term like lift because it's new. You'll get the lift from like your email lists or your Mm -hmm. social promotions, especially if you're Shopify, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. But um, but then after that, it's like kind of goes gets quiet. Yeah. Um, until organic picks up. So yeah, um, I'm big proponent of content refreshes as, as most people listening though, by now, um, second play something that's, I'm, I'm actually in the middle of doing now. So I'm really curious to hear your your experience with this is adding hyper relevant content, download CTAs in blog posts. Tell me about that. Yeah. So it's going to sound super obvious. Like a lot of things in content marketing, really just once you say them out loud, it kind of sounds like (laughs) common sense, but you're like, I feel like a genius. Um, so basically we recently did like a custom dashboard in Google analytics just to see, we wanted to see basically the goal was which blog posts are converting the most in terms of like, which are like goal completion wise, who's like clicking on these CTAs to download content. Um, and it didn't surprise me, but it surprised me at the same time that the ones with the highest uh, conversion rates and downloads were the ones whose CTAs were super duper relevant to the actual post itself. So I think sometimes we like create these assets and these downloadable guides and things like that. Um, and they're relevant in general to our audience, but they're not hyper relevant to every blog post equally. Obviously, if you do something to use the inventory management category, again, if you did like a, a retailer's complete guide to inventory management, that's going to be a really great CT to add to your inventory management articles, but l- less relevant to ones that are about like, um, you know, BFCM and holiday shopping and, you know, just to use an example. Um, but basically, so the two ones I'll give examples of the, the highest one, I believe, was one on omnichannel trends for 2021. Um, and the CTA was download the future of retail 2021 report. Like, it was just super obvious the connection between the CTA we used and the the content sure. that we're actually talking about. Another one was um, it was about uh, some kind of like marketing calendar, like building your marketing calendar. And the CTA was like, download our complete guide to digital marketing for retailers. And it was like, of course, of course it is. But now we're thinking about it in terms of instead of creating these like assets first, independent of our content, let's look at what content is our top viewed. And then use that to inform what downloadable assets we make, because that's a quick win if you can just embed something new content download that's super relevant on your posts that are already driving the lion's share of your site's traffic. So that's kind of what we're looking into. Going, yeah, looking again, going back historically, looking at the stuff that's working already, Mm -hmm. starting there. Yeah, makes a lot of one of those things. Yeah, when you say it, I laughed at that because like when you say it out loud, it's like that doesn't sound that. But it's it's one of those things. Simple, not easy. Right. Uh-huh. Like it, yeah, it yeah. sounds simple, but the execution, especially for that, too, because like I think in a lot of cases, people like to do the create CTAs, create them once and just apply them all the time, like, you know, wherever they're applicable mm-hmm. um, or even have tags or something in your CMS that you could easily just like add the CTA. But in most cases, like being more personal, you might have to create a personalized CTA. You might have to create one that's only applicable or like really hyper relevant mm-hmm. to this post and maybe a handful of others and instead of two dozen others right and so like that's the part that people overlook not so much oh hyper relevant cta sure no 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 not (laughs) not like oh let's create one for all of the topics we create and we'll just use them for all of them no like really go deep on this specific subject in that blog post tailor the cta sounds like that's kind of what what's what's work right when you say hyper relevant like is is that sort of what you're alluding to yeah, definitely. And I think um, another thing that kind of goes along with this whole content play is that 
you know, in traditionally, I know a lot of the content downloads at Shopify and I know a lot of other places too. We tend to think of those as like, we want this big ebook or whatever. Like it doesn't always have to be a huge heavy lift ebook or, or playbook or whatever you guys call it, but it can be something that's just like a one pager even. So just taking like the topic itself and be like, Hey, do you want this blog post in like printable checklist version? Here you go. And like, even just doing that, even if it's just relevant for that one blog post, like it's a really easy lift. You might not want to create a whole ebook just for one blog post, right. but you could do maybe a one pager. Like there are various ways that you can make that a somewhat easy lift so that each CTA is as relevant as it possibly can be. Right. And is there like a nurturing sequence for those type of things? Right. Cause those aren't CTAs directly into the product. Exactly. So, right, it's more like a, like a content asset. What does like the nurturing look like there? Yeah, no, that's a, a great point. I think like anytime you have a CTA, you got to like keep in mind, okay, where are people at in the funnel? Because um, I've seen companies before like send those content uh, download people directly to sales. And it's like, they are not qualified yet. They have not been nurtured. They just wanted this asset and that's all they wanted. Um, so having some way to kind of nurture them beforehand is key. We have a, I think it's like a three email or four email drip after someone downloads content. Um, that nurtures them to to potentially contact sales or uh, right. I think a few different things like look at our features, contact sales, um, yada, yada. And then we have after they, if they haven't converted, if they haven't opted to talk to sales, then we drop them in our generic kind of like um, every month we send out like kind of a digest of uh, content topics that we've published the past month. It's mostly informational, but in there we do always have like a, a CTA about the point of sale or whatever, like right. plus. Um, and then we'll have like a few different uh, product focused articles in there as well, but it's not front and center. It's definitely different than like the merchant newsletter sure. that's for prospects to nurture them, keep us top of mind. Right, right. I love that. I just love the idea of hyper relevant content CTAs in general and leveraging different types of offers, different levels of awareness. Play number three, using proprietary data reports for lead gen. So tell me about this is something else I'm 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 bullish on and I see a lot of companies doing this well. I used to work for a company called Litmus and that was our biggest content asset was we took our own data and every month we would report on which email clients and which devices people were opening email on most. And it was, you know, it was using millions of email opens. Um, that's how many emails were being sent. And so we were able to say, you know, this month Apple Mail fell, you know, 2% and, you know, uh, Gmail on iPhone is, is gaining market share. More people are open, opening on Gmail. Here are the things that go, can go wrong with your email on Gmail. Make sure you check these things. And it was like, it, by far and away, we couldn't create another piece of content that was any better than this. Mm -hmm. And it would get mentions in like TechCrunch without us even trying. Right. So like uh, bullish on that if you could do it right. So tell me about the proprietary data and how that works on your team. Yeah. So, I mean, really for us, like, I feel like we're just getting started. Um, we, and I'm going to give an example that I can't take credit for because I wasn't here when they, when they did this project. Um, but the, if you've heard of it, a lot of people have, I'm surprised, but the future of commerce report um, that Shopify put out, that was put out by members of my team. Basically, it just looked at a ton of proprietary data. We did a lot of like qualitative interviews with experts, like the CEO of like various large brands and people who like are um, the managing editor of like Glossy, I want to say. I can't, I can't right. remember. Um, but there are a lot of people that we did interviews with as well as the data. And we put that into the Future of Commerce report. It got a ton of press mentions. I know we worked with the, the PR team at Shopify to kind sure. of like 
get it out there as well. So it was very like multi-team cross-functional effort, but it was well worth it because it is, it brings in the lion's share of uh, traffic to the plus blog currently. And they were already getting a ton of traffic. So that just tells you like how much traffic <clears throat> it was driving. And so that was a really, really big win. And because of the success of it, I mean, it even won an award, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Wow. Recently found that out, but um, they're going to make that a project that is done every year. Like it's refreshed um, because of how successful it was. And I think that's really important because then, like you said, with Litmus, I think people become, they come to know you for that thing and they come to expect that. So even after, like you were saying that they'll come to you for that, they link to you proactively. Yeah. If the more you kind of build your own reputation for like, hey, we have this data, you're known for that. People are going to proactively link to you, mention you, and yeah. just a win. Yeah, the, the real magic happens too when you start doing it regularly. If it's like an annual report like that, the real magic occurs year two and on when mm -hmm. you could then start to say, here's here are the changes we saw from 2021 to 2022. This, you know, people reported this less, people reported this more. This is an emerging trend that wasn't around last year. And then in five years, it's like even more so because then you have five years of data to compare it to. And like, that's where like the real magic starts happening. So yeah, that's super smart to do it, to do it annually. What type of like, like what's an example, like what type of insights are, are in this report? Yeah. I mean, there's insights on, I think they picked the way they picked it was like, there's multiple categories that we focus on. I think we talked about that earlier. Um, Omni-channel, retail, shipping and logistics, like all of those kind of main categories. And they did a bunch of, they collected a bunch of data on those specific categories that we want to kind of have ownership right which is also brilliant because then we are constantly writing on those topics. We can pull our own insights for those blog posts on those topics and link back to the report. It's just, it works really well, but the types of insights definitely fall into those categories. Um, there are a lot of, for example, um, data points on like, Hey, are people going to shop in store? How many of them after the pandemic, um, how like point of sale, like how, how many people want like a contactless option for, for shopping and stuff. So it was a mix of like consumer data and uh, merchant data and then qualitative quotes from those. Experts. Where could like, we find this? Like, I'm interested. I want to check this report out myself. Yeah, it's, um, well, I can check the URL right now, but it's uh, the future of commerce report and such a brilliant idea for right now. Like, which I'm sure is why why it was it was uh, brought up in the first place, right? Because like yep. tracking people's behaviors after the pandemic's over, or um, is it going to change? How is it going to change? Mm -hmm. the, the tools people are using now, like so many things have happened in the last twelve months. Uh, it's completely crazy, but yeah, um, yeah. If you have a URL you want to share here, uh, I'll drop yeah. it in the show notes too. Totally, uh, Shopify.com/slash/enterprise slash the dash future dash of dash e-commerce. So it's <laughs> easier to click on, but it's, you know. Put I'll drop it in the show notes too. Make it easy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Make it easier for but everybody. It's, it's really great. Highly recommend. <laughs> nice. Uh, so that, um, that's re that must have came out recently then, right? Yeah, that came out, um, I think, when was it? The end of last year, I want to say. I can't remember the exact date, but yeah. And so I, I would imagine too, because it sounds like a lot of the, the categories in the, in the report kind of mm -hmm. match it sounds like some of the categories on, on the yeah. blog mm -hmm. are you breaking up pieces of it and like having smaller blog posts that you share like one insight that leads back to the report and doing things like that typically that's what we do but what's really unique about the way that they did this future of e-commerce report was that they actually they published a lot if not all i don't want to misspeak but all of the findings like ungated 
Um, and then the download, we're still getting a ton of downloads on it, but it's basically like, here's all of the insights. That's why we're able to drive so much traffic with it because it's ungated. We want to be able right. to drive traffic with it. Um, but then it's like, hey, if you want a full copy of this report to like download, print out for your team or whatever, download it here. So there's also a download option um, and it's working really well. I think a lot of tech, myself included, we're kind of afraid sometimes to ungate things that are like, <laughs> took a lot of effort and like, oh, we can get an email for that. It's like, sometimes if it's good enough, you can still get an email. People want the PDF. They yeah, want exactly. they want something to print. I mean, the amount of people that still print stuff too. Like yeah. that's always surprised me is they'll print. I sound like a, a complete snob right now. The amount of people that print things. Uh, but so many people print these things, right? And they share them with their colleagues or yep. they put them on their desk. So they remember it's like top of mind. Like a lot of the research too, like I mentioned that litmus was the same way. People would print that stuff and it's like, really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, and if you make it pretty enough, right? Like the design of it and the the data, people love to do that. So um, I've even thought like some, some brands like that, if it's an annual thing, like, I mean, Shopify too, you guys got the resources. You guys should just make that like a print item <laughs> and, yeah. and like ship that. We've about, yeah. We've talked about doing print stuff. So stay tuned. I know a few people on our team are really interested in doing like yeah. print versions of stuff they're doing. Like, um, one, one of the people on my team, she's a former journalist. She's excellent. And she, like, she takes that to Shopify where her stories are feature stories. Like you would read in the New York times or something like that. And so she's like, Hmm, maybe I'll put together something for print with all of my articles. So there's a lot of like ideas floating around about, about that kind of thing. But yeah, I'm here I for the resurgence of print. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like there, there is so much great content that I, th I feel like would make great like not not anything like regular but quarterly annually mm -hmm. twice a year or just like special releases of like brands rolling up their best content or a report that you can't i would love to see a brand do a report you can't get online mm, you can't get it online and like the value of having like because if i showed you my desk right now it would you you'd be appalled um <laughs> but i have a lot of books it's like all i'm not and that sounds really snobby too. Like I'm, this, this end of this podcast is not good for me right now. Um, most of them aren't read, if that helps. Uh, but like I have these books sitting here, and if there's ever like a print item like that, like a magazine or a, I, it always ends up sitting here. Um, mm. For me, it's like I like to reference it. Looking at it inspires me. Mm -hmm. And so think about if you had this like beautiful report and brands like Shopify, right? The design elements are are, are terrific. Most people are going to leave it on their desk. Right. And it's like that brand awareness of your brand's stuff being on someone's desk for even if it's just a week or a month or whatever. I mean, desks these days, it's in everybody's house. So maybe this is a bad example. Forget everything I just said because everybody's <laughs> working from home. But like print, I just feel like if, if it was only available in print, it's going to be visible in the work environment in a way that it can't be when it's on the screen. So I don't know. Somebody's going to do that at some point And I'm going to be like, I wish I did it first. Um, yeah. but it's a, but it's a great idea. I, I'm yeah. all that to say I'm here for the resurgence of print <laughs> and I if that's Shopify, that. I'm here for it. I think that's, no, that's a great call out. And I actually, uh, I have one, I think still for, yeah, I do. It's right. It's under my desk. See, she's looking, I, she's looking right. at her desk under her desk. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's from beard brands. I don't know if you're familiar. Oh yeah. With I had, I had the copywriter from beard brand on this podcast, like a few Amazing. months ago. Yeah. I love, yeah. I mean, I don't know if that was the person who did this, but they have a magazine, which, you know, they shipped with something I bought for my husband and um, he was like, Hey, this is cool. You might be interested in this. I'm like, what? Cause I, you know, you just assume yeah. that it's gonna be a catalog of their other products. Right. It wasn't, it was just like a nice magazine about like 
beard care and all of that kind of thing. And I was just like, this is such a good example. I'm like, right. I don't have facial hair, but I'm yeah. going to keep this because I need it for inspiration. I think it's a great idea. What did they it's call it? Like, is, is it, uh, is the issue called like, they, is it like a magazine where it has like a, um, so it's called, oh, it's like a catalog, urban, urban beardsman, urban uh, beardsman <laughs> one. And then on the back says, keep, keep on, on growing. growing. <laughs> and it looks very bougie. The front, it's like, a, it looks like a, a designer catalog, but. Oh, yeah. 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 That's, that. Uh, 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 there's definitely a play there. There's, mm-hmm. there's certainly a play there and, and I can't wait to, to see more brands leveraging it. But right. um, Cameron, this was a lot of fun. Uh, it was, it was great to finally meet and yeah. put the Twitter friendship uh, to, to real life and, and hearing all about. Loved hearing about the enterprise and the retail products because I think that's something I haven't heard a ton about um, in terms of like a content strategy at Shopify. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing all that you did. Um, I certainly got a lot of uh, value from it. Took a lot of notes that, uh, on my notepad here. So I'm sure others will as well. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.